our recording of you on YouTube didn't get the audio for the first eight and a half minutes. So I'm actually sitting at home and watching the YouTube and trying to recreate what I said for the first eight and a half minutes. But I'm talking about being in Florida for the week with a group of people. And we had the opportunity to go to Disney, which I'm a Disney fan. I like being at the Disney parks. And we even got to go to Universal. And we were fortunate to have a tour guide with us on the first two days of our trips, both at Universal and Disney. And basically, they get us to the front of the line. We can skip the line and everything else, uh, uh, which is a, a great advantage. But then the other two days, we were like commoners. We had to come back down to Earth and stand in long lines and be with the people and it's kind of a bummer after doing that the first two days but uh we had a great time in florida it was a good trip and then um just thankful for the opportunity to be away and while i was away jim david had mentioned that during the prayer time his family was taken care of uh far and above that they ever imagined after his mother died last week and i'm basically explaining how heartwarming it is and encouraging to know that uh, i can be gone on vacation for a week and this community will serve one another and uh, it, it goes on even if i'm not there then i started talking about passion and the football coming up i presented uh, a picture of the Buffalo Bills fans sitting in the stands and how passionate that they were that they would sit through something like that and uh, one of the other teams is the Oakland Raiders Raider Nation they're always dressing up uh, in some fancy stuff and then there's the Detroit Lions they're passionate but their passion is <laughs> probably dealing more with losing and uh, so they wear the bags over the heads then, of course, you got the Bengals who, hey, finally they have a winning team and they're going to the Super Bowl next week and they're all excited. And then there's that Ram fan, Ike Ellison. Ike has a, been a Rams fan for the last couple of years and he encouraged his dad to go to the last game of Tom Brady and watch the Rams beat him. And so he's all excited about them being in the Super Bowl. And... We talk about passion, and then I begin to ask the people what their passion was. What is what is your passion? And I believe the first response we got was from Jim David again, and he said airplanes, that uh, he loved to everything about airplanes. <laughs> trying to remember everything that was said. Uh but Jim is actually building an airplane in the garage of his house, kind of the garage. But Jim talked about uh, his plane, and then I believe it was Chad Hayward who said that he was passionate about his kids. And I began to talk to them on the front row about their kids and their competition and uh, Ellie is swimming in sectionals next week. Then Luke Dunnick, you can see he raised his hand. And he said he's passionate about his wife. 
And of course he was proud of his answer because he got it out there before everybody else had the opportunity to say anything about their wife, making himself look good, of course. So uh, congratulations to, to Luke. And then I believe Cindy Stone said that she was passionate about reaching and helping families that had addictions that she has been in contact and done ministry with so many families over the years and has encouraged them and their walk through uh, addiction. Some of them it's still ongoing. And we talked about her, her own family and the struggles that they have uh, and how she's had an effective ministry in just loving on people and encourage them as they walk through the addiction crisis. I checked to see if there was any other people that had passions. And then we eventually go on. We talk about Paul being a passionate person. He was so passionate about his faith, the things that he did and the things that uh, occurred in his life and in his ministry that he decided, uh, how do you express, how do you express passion to the people that you love, uh, it's easy because it just flows out. And so that's what he's done in second Corinthians. He's written this letter to the church at Corinth. He's actually written several letters. One was very passionate and very stinging as he, <clears throat> as he kind of corrected their behavior and, uh, he, he wanted them to repent and they eventually did. Now he is written this third letter, which is actually second Corinthians and we're working our way through it. And he's trying to encourage them to stay pure, to remain holy and to stay focused. And he does that in a very passionate way. So at this point in the story, we're going to pick up in chapter 11 in, in chapter 11. He's <clears throat> talking about uh, how does how does the word affect your behavior? He's talking about focusing on the weak side of things rather than on the strong side of things. Uh, he gets into the second part and has a section that's called the fool's speech. So I'm trying to get us to where we are eight and a half minutes into this and we pick up in verse one make himself small the spirit will do great things through him if he becomes weak the spirit becomes strong and so now he's trying to encourage the church at corinth and he says in verse one I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me. This process here is, is basically a plea in verse one. He's going to say, come on, guys, bear with me, bear with me, work with me here is really what he's saying. Just stay with me, stay focused. Verse two, he says, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. Now, God blessed me with a daughter, Chloe. I love Chloe. 
I'm passionate about Chloe. And I want to protect Chloe. I want to protect her purity. She's 22, about to turn 23. She's an adult. I don't have much control of that anymore. I had to, like, trust her to the Lord. But there's still this passion inside of me that calls for her to remain pure, to be pure. It's just what it is. And this is literally what he's saying to the church at Corinth. Stick with me. Stick with what I've been telling you. I want to present you in a pure picture. It's almost like there's a a jealousy of losing them because of their distraction from other things. Stay focused with me. Just stay with me. Verse 3, it says, But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit, which you had not received, or a different gospel, which you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. Now he's, he's kind of getting into their space. He's like, we came here to Corinth and we taught you about Jesus. We taught you specifically about how he came and was crucified on the cross. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And because of the forgiveness of your sins, you were made whole. You were made forgiven. Past tense. He was buried. He rose again. He sits to the Father. Now the Father and the Son sent the Spirit to come live inside of you. This is, this is simply what Paul has taught to the church at Corinth, which we see throughout all of his letters. And now he's saying, you're hearing a different story. You're hearing that you have to remain under the law. We, we told you that there's a spirit inside of you already. And if you just listen to the spirit, actually, if you just let the spirit live your life for you, then you're, you're no longer under the law. You're also hearing that you need to be circumcised. No, that's an old covenant thing. All these things are being told to the church at Corinth by very incredible speakers, teachers, and they're buying into it. They're totally buying into it. They weren't necessarily valid Christian teachers. They differed in Paul's approach. Yeah, I get it. I'm not, I don't teach and preach like everybody else. Paul didn't expect them to teach and preach like he did, but he did expect them to teach the same gospel. And then, you know, in our society here, there's the word tolerant. You know, that we're supposed to be tolerant. Well, I promise you, the people that tell us that we're supposed to be tolerant are intolerant. Trust me. Everybody has opinions. You can't be for everything. You have to be intolerant about some things. And at this point, 
Paul is absolutely being intolerant about false teachers. People that are coming in and teaching a different gospel. He says in verse five, now I consider myself in no way inferior. Now I consider myself in no way inferior to those super apostles. Someone who's had extensive training in speech and presentation. Even if I'm untrained in public speaking, I'm certainly not untrained in knowledge. Indeed, we have in every way made that clear to you in everything. He points out right here that what he's especially good at is communicating knowledge and truth. This is the simple truth, just as I communicated to you what Jesus did for us. He's saying, even though I've chosen not to use flowery rhetorical ability here, I've taught you faithfully. I'm sincere and I'm passionate about what I believe. Verse 7, he says, Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by taking pay from them to minister to you? He's actually using funds from the Macedonia churches that were collected for him to take to Jerusalem to support his ministry in Corinth. He didn't take any money from Corinth. He didn't ask for any money for them for his ministry. He only asked, would you help the people in Jerusalem? Would you collect funds for them? But he's doing this ministry to Corinth at no expense to them. Verse 9 says, When I was present with you and in need, I did not burden anyone. Since the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs, I've kept myself and will keep myself from burdening you in any way. He never took an offering. He never passed the plate. He didn't put a joy box in the back. He didn't ask for money. He doesn't want to be obligated to any power person in Corinth. He doesn't want to promote any agenda by anybody. He says, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you. God knows that I do. If he's saying, if we're to boast about something, I'm going to boast about the fact that I'm not taking money from you. As compared to these other teachers that are coming in the area, they're soaking you dry. They're taking money from you. They're taking your resources for their own benefit. That's not me. I'm not doing that. Now, if the Lord leads you to give to Paul, the Lord leads you to give, but I don't, I don't need it. I'm not asking for it, he says. But I will continue to do what I'm doing in order to deny an opportunity to those who want to be regarded as our equals and what they boast about. First, such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be according to their works. <laughs> Basically, he's saying, I'm going to carry out a pattern of ministry that makes what I'm doing 
my gospel very distinct from what the other people are doing. I, I want you to see that we're different. I'm going to teach the gospel. We're not going to be eloquent speakers. We'll be able to change the song when we need to. We can be free. We can just be ourselves. But we're going to speak the truth. I want you to see very clearly that we're not doing the same thing. It, it's not simply a choice between gospel ministry A and gospel ministry B. Paul says their form of ministry is absolutely false what they're doing. And he says it fits their character perfectly and they will pay for it in the end. Verse 16 says, I repeat, let no one consider me a fool. But if you do, at least accept me as a fool so that I can also boast a little. What I am saying in this matter of boasting, I don't speak as the Lord would, but as it were, foolishly. Since many boast according to the flesh, I'll also boast. Now he's being a little sarcastic. He's coming along and he's like, if they're going to teach this way and you accept it, let me do this process the same. This process that he's using is really a direct confrontation to them. Although he's kind of coming at them from behind, he's really being very direct with them. He's saying, you guys are doing something that is inappropriate. And it's really a beautiful piece of rhetoric that he's using here and he gets into this bit of sarcasm actually and he's saying these things on the surface but at the same time he's really chastising them it's kind of interesting as you read it he's really confronting them very directly with how bad it is that they're welcoming these false teachers in their midst in verse 19 he says for you being so wise gladly put up with fools In fact, you put up with it if someone enslaves you, if someone exploits you, if someone takes advantage of you, if someone is arrogant towards you, if someone slaps you in the face, which is like the most humiliating thing that they could do was to backhand somebody in public. I say this to our shame. We have been too weak for that. We are distinct We are different than what they are doing. Do not confuse their message with our message. When he's talking about a slave status right here in this passage, it was the lowest stature of the culture that could be had. If these false teachers eat up your resources and you applaud them, you think that's great? If they just swallow you whole, You think that's a great thing? You've become a slave to them. So, in essence, this this whole section of 2 Corinthians, I think Paul's directly addressing just a minority of who are still interacting with the false teachers. He never addresses them directly because he doesn't want to dignify them. But he is always having his words aimed at those guys in the background. He continues, 
But in whatever anyone dares to boast, I am talking foolishly. I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Watch this. This is, this is very enlightening right here. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Now he has identified these false teachers as what? If he's saying, so am I and so are they, then they're Jews, they're Israelites, they're Hebrews, they're from Abraham. They're the Judaizers. They're the people that are coming along and teaching old covenant after Paul has taught the new covenant. They're still teaching the new covenant, but they're combining it with the old covenant. You guys, that happens today. It happens today. There's a mix of the old covenant and the new covenant in the church today. Let me be very distinct and very clear. We are a new covenant church. We are a new covenant church. The old covenant has passed away. The new covenant is here. The new covenant is there's a holy living God inside of you that wants to live your life for you. There's not a list of rules on the wall back here telling you how to behave and what to do and what not to do. There's a God inside of you that wants to live your life for you. If you just become weak. It's very distinct. I'm not going to get to the one verse that talks about Paul's thorn in chapter 12 today. But you have to know, based upon what he's saying here at the end of of chapter 11, he's talking about the Judaizers. Verse 23, it says, Are they servants of Christ? See, he associated with them. Those last three questions, are they from Israel? Are they Hebrews? Are they from Abraham? Yep, me too, me too, me too. Then he asked the question, are they servants of Christ? Now he separates himself from them. I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. He's distinguishing himself very differently here. The difference between power and weakness. Paul is presenting that he's superior because of his weaknesses. Pure foolishness. It doesn't even make sense to the world. Why you would become weak when the whole world is about power. This is the whole gospel. It's foolishness to the world. Think about what Paul has done here. Watch in verse 24. He says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. That's the official beating by the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea on frequent journeys. I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers. Dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, 
dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing, not to mention other things, there is daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Is Paul a passionate person? Is he passionate about sharing the gospel? If you go through all that right there, I consider you passionate. He, who does that? You realize Paul was a Pharisee and he had it all. He had money. He, he was, I mean, he was the man. He knew the law. He was able to, he was considered to be a righteous man by the Jews. And then he became a follower of Jesus Christ and he gave up all the money and the glitz and the glamour. You realize the first part of his life, he had a tour guide with him and he got to skip the line. Now he's no longer has a tour guide with him. All right, I'm just going to be a commoner. And not only am I going to be a commoner, but I'm going to go through I'm going to go through many hardships because I believe, I believe Jesus is the way. He's the way. And and don't, don't miss this. He says, not to mention other things. He goes through his whole list, not to mention other things. There's daily pressure on me. My concern for all the churches. You know what Paul just admitted to right there? Having anxiety. He said it. There's, there's daily pressure on me. Paul had anxiety about, about what? What was his anxiety about? About the gospel being heard truthfully. Like when he hears it, a different gospel, a different message, a mixture of the two covenants, it just... I hear it all the time today. I hear it all the time. Bad gospel. Sometimes I'll speak out about it, but most of the time my stomach just churns. It's like, I want him to hear it. I want him to be free. And this is really all Paul's saying. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you think about this for a second. Paul's been imprisoned. He's done all these things. He's traveled around. What search committee would hire Paul today to come and be the pastor of their church? <laughs> it ain't happening. It ain't happening. Uh, Paul, the, the guy. <clears throat> no church would have this guy that's been shipwrecked and been in riots and beaten and but his it was his passion what he lived for he says I'm, I'm better than them in Christ it's because he was showing his weakness if they want to like flaunt it if they want the glitz and glamour and the elaborate speaking and all this stuff you you guys go for it whatever but I'm going to stick with the foolishness of the gospel. 
It doesn't even make sense. I mean, you think about it. The Jews were waiting for their superhero to come and save them from all the times that they were exiled and throughout history, throughout world history. And Jesus is born in a manger. He was a carpenter's son from Nazareth. He rode in on a donkey. It doesn't even make sense. Paul's like saying, yeah, it's foolishness to the world, but he came to serve. Not to power over, not to power up, but to serve. There's a difference. It makes my heart good to know this church served the David family while I was gone. There's a difference. Verse 29. He says, who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. The God and the Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. He had anxiety. He had a passion for the church. He loved the church. He loved the people. He was beaten by both the Jews and the Gentiles. He came first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, and they both beat him. And he never quit. Around 400 AD, Augustine, 400 years later, 350 years later, Augustine said, there are two kinds of pastors, those who cared for their flock and others who sit in it to gratify themselves by temporal temporal honors and worldly advantages. That was Augustine in 400. So the same thing that Paul's dealing with in Corinth, 350 years later, Augustine's talking about, there's two types of pastors. It happened in the early church happened in 400 AD and it's still happening today. I would say most likely the ones who Paul is adamant against would probably never teach this passage. I mean, I don't see how you can teach that passage and not see his strategy for teaching the gospel. It's not about an elaborate presentation. It's telling you you're loved in the midst of a fallen world, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of grief. I'm with you. I'm with you. Just relax. Know you're forgiven. Keep your head high because you've been made holy. Chill out. I'll live your life for you. I'll do it. Just let me do it. And hang on and enjoy the ride.
Jesus, I know I'm passionate and I know people see me passionate for many things, but may I be most passionate about you. May I truly understand your word and seek to know you even more through it. I trust you. But make me weak so you may be strong in me. And I pray that for my friends here today, that you do the same thing for them. That we continue to serve, we continue to love. Whether we're tolerant or intolerant, let us be in you. And that's all that matters. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.